Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment, action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Human Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 29 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. This week, I will be going over all of the books released on the 24th of April, 2019, as well as talking about everything else related to the world of comic books. Heads up, there's going to be language and all the spoilers, so make sure you're cool with all that. And when you are, grab a drink, talk comic books, and uh, this week, the drink will be Rolling Rock. Nothing too special. The fact is, is that it'll get you drunk. Uh, let's get on with the news. Not a whole lot of news. Kind of disturbing news, sad news, but in its own dark, twisted way. A little funny, too. Um, Tom King is back in the news. Uh, people want him dead. He's getting death threats. Did I just laugh when I said that? I did. P- uh, people are giving him d- death threats over Heroes in Crisis number 8, which we will be talking about later on. But fact is, I think, uh, if I just had to guess, I'd say there's a lot of Wally West fans out there that are uh, not so happy with how Tom King turned him out to be. So, we'll get to more of that later on in the overview. The fact is, is it, I mean, is it a little funny that people, Tom King's getting death threats? A little. But overall, that's, that's fucking ridiculous, guys. Come on. It's, it is a comic. But look, comics are life. I get it. Like, I'm right there, too. But... No, it's uh, no no need to kill someone over it or threaten to kill someone over it. Fucking strange times, man. Strange times. Let's get to the overview section. Excuse me, Sharky the Bounty Hunter, uh, the Millarverse number three. Uh, Mark Millar, Simone Bianchi. Uh, this is at this point we're halfway through. It's only going to be a six-issue mini-series, but. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. And this issue is no different. Um, we know that at this point, Sharky has tracked down Edra Deering, the bitch that has the, the billion Coda bounty on her head. The thing is, is that she found a loophole. She is in a city where bounty hunting is illegal. So, in order to track her down, one has to break the law. So... Sharky doesn't seem like someone who gives two fucks about that, though, because a billion coda, that's that's a whole lot of money. There's also a whole bunch of other people that want that that bounty, one of them being Sharky's ex-wife. Uh, what's, her, what's her name? Judy Cade. Well, uh, conveniently enough, she shows up, and between the two of them going, oh, I hate you, I hate you, I want this too, Edward Deering gets away, bye-bye, skedaddle. 
And that gives enough time for the Star Patrol to come in and be like, oh, you can't do that here. Uh, it's, it's bad. Uh, it's illegal. And they're like, oh, we're not doing anything. Sorry, officer. And they managed to talk their way out of it. And then Judah and Sharky are pretty much like, oh, do we team up? I think we should team up. But I'll team up if it's 50-50. And Judah's like, bitch, 60-40. And an extra Billy comes in because he's supposed to be hiding in the ice cream truck the whole time, the ice cream, ice cream space truck. He comes flying in, and then we get that whole, like, oh, yeah, no, this is what I'm doing. So we get that introduction. It's kind of awkward between extra Billy and Judah. It seems like she really don't like that little fucker at all. <laughs> and I don't, I don't blame her. I don't give two shits about your kid. I watch kids follow up bikes all day. So essentially, that's that's what now now they're off to track down Edgar Deering as a team. Fun stuff, man. Fun stuff. It's it's really <laughs> yeah. I, I I like the back and forth. It's, it's a dirty. Com- I mean, I mean, it's not a dirty comic, but it's definitely not a comic for kids. Despite how cute Extra Billy is. And actually, I really only have, uh, now that I think about it, I only have one indie to go in depth on for the overviews this week. What do you know? So let's move on to DC. Batman Beyond, number 31, Dan Jurgens, Rick Leonardo, Leonardi, Andy Parks, and Chris Sotomayor, covered by Chris Damney and Matthew Wilson. So at this point in the last issue, Robin and Batman are like, oh, no, you're, you, can't, you can't be this anymore. You, you just got to be a kid and learn to do stuff. And I'm Batman. You're, there's, Batman doesn't need Robin anymore. So that's, that's to give you an idea of the dynamic that's going to be happening here in this comic, there is no more Robin. But Matt's still around. He's still his brother. or I mean, Terry's brother. And he's in the Batcave. You know, trying to help. Uh, their mission is to get into a uh, the Powers Company. There's been some like Bruce Wayne owns the Powers Company, and then he finds out that Wayne Enterprise uh, finds out what the Powers Company is actually doing, and Wayne Enterprise is like, oh no, we can't be affiliated with this shit. But it's actually the beginning of the story. Uh, it's <laughs> I, it didn't make sense to me until the end. But you you see Bruce Wayne being given a uh, a tour of Arkham, and it's 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 just it doesn't feel right, and especially after it's all said, and then you're like, what the fuck is this? Okay, whatever. And then you know Bruce goes on his tour, and he gets in the, his his uh, space limo, <laughs> is what it looks like to me, and he's like, oh, give me a drink. And then the the AI or computer or whatever is talking to him. The car is like, ain't in a little early, and he's like, ah, bitch, I work hard. Essentially, it's kind of how it feels. But you, you feel like, what the fuck happened to to, to Bruce Wayne? Like, I, I understand that he's an alcoholic as he gets older, but this this just doesn't feel like him. Like, he feels, like, real snarky in a way. Like, way too fucking confident. Like, everything is going his way. And Bruce Wayne knows that, I mean, he's never that easy with things. Like, there's always something else to, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Then we go into Terry confirming or with his brother Matthew, like, no, you can't be Robin no more. And he's like, ah, that sucks. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going on a mission. And then we go back to him trying to get into control. Um, is that what it is? Or powers, my bad, not control. And as he's going in there, he gets attacked by this some bitch named Split. And it's really actually two people. So that's kind of cool. It's like they, I don't know, it's 
it's a really I, I, I've never seen this fucker before but he fucks up old Batman and puts him into this uh, this gravity chamber and meanwhile Bruce Wayne and Matthew are in the Batcave going oh shit like fucking Terry might die in this gravity chamber the way all this is going and uh, Matthew's like well aren't you gonna do something Bruce and Bruce is like Nah, let's just see how it goes. And then you're like, what the fuck is going on with Bruce right now? And then you go back to Arkham, and you see this this character, like, get me out of here. And you can't help but wonder if that's actually the real Bruce Wayne. And we got some doppelgangery going on here. I don't fucking know. Very intriguing, though. Very, very intriguing. Um... I'll uh, oh, reiterate my feelings about Batman Beyond. I jumped on it like issue 25 or an annual or something like that. No idea what I was getting into. The, my only, I mean, I just, I just knew the the animated series. And it just so happened that the 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 story that I jumped on pertained to a lot of familiar characters, especially like the Joker. And then they did a whole death in the family thing that went on for like five or six issues. And it confirmed, I really fucking like this book. But when the whole death in the family thing ended, I was like, now, where are we going to go knowing that we're probably not going to get, you know, a familiar story conveniently for me. I'm digging this one. I don't know who Split is. I don't know if it's a first appearance or not. But I like it. I like the fact that it was he was able to take down Batman first try. So... I respect that. I like that Batman's not always... Um, I'm, I'm always the best. So, Digging Batman Beyond is the point. Let's move into Superman. Action Comics 10, 10, 1010. Um, Brian Michael Bendis, Steve Epting, and Brad Anderson, covered by Steve Epting. We're getting more of this Leviathan Rising. We're at part four now. Not totally sure what's going on here still, but it's... It's keeping me, it's keeping me informed. We know that Batman or Batman, <laughs> uh, Clark and Lois are under the, this digital disguise or cloaking thing. Now it's like Chaz and Andy or something like that. And Superman's got this this big bushy beard and bushy hair and yeah, I don't know. But they're they're trying to infiltrate infiltrate Spiral. Because they're doing bad shit, and then there's this fucker tiger that interferes, and, uh, really, what it comes down to is they infiltrate, we get this, ah, oh, tiger, and then there's something outside, like, Clark senses something outside, and you can only assume that it is this Leviathan character, and you see this shadow, and then you just see Clark, like, grab him, and just throws him into space, and you see this, like, character just, like, casually just, like, yep, flying through space. Superman just threw me through space. Flying through space, not a big deal. <laughs> and that's kind of... I believe that's really how it ends. Like, Superman's like, ah, fucking... Oh, that's cool. Well, it's good now. And Tiger's like, oh, shit! You mean that Chaz motherfucker was Superman the whole time? <laughs> and, yeah, it's... I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what's going on here. I'm sure there was something much more important to touch on. You're going to have to forgive me, nerds, because I'm new to action comics. I just started reading, well, four issues ago with Le Leviathan Rising. But really, um, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if this is so much more of like a filler issue 
introducing or giving us more of Spiral. Maybe Tiger's a bigger character than I anticipated. Not sure. I really think what it comes down to is the ending of this Leviathan character having no issues whatsoever being hurled into space by Superman nonchalantly. Like, okay, well, this is... I guess we're going to fight here soon as soon as I get back to Earth. I don't know. Uh, detect... Or, yeah, Detective Comics 1002. Four-digit number. Man, Peter J. Tomasi, Brad Walker, Andrew Canesey, and Nathan Fabian. Uh, cover by the same artistic team. We got Walker, um, Hennessy, and Fairbairn. I mean, not Fabian. Fairbairn is what I meant to say. We're getting the Arkham Knight. And he is a bad, bad, bad motherfucker. We know at the last, at the end of the last issue, he's pretty much got Batman's head under his boot. I will crush you. Batman and his Batman-y ways, he's like, no, I'm Batman. Car, come get me. And car come, his car come get, to, comes to get him, and that, that's how he's able to escape. But he's fucked up. Like, he's he's got arrows all over him. He's a pincushion. And I think that Alfred even says I wasn't prepared to operate on a pincushion once he gets back to the Batcave. Um... But we really get a, a whole bunch of pages in the beginning of Arkham Knight really just fucking shit up. He's he's clearly a bad motherfucker. Gets back to the Batcave. Alfred's uh, working on Batman, but oh, oh, what's his what's the Robin's name now? The one that everyone hates. Uh, not Damien. <laughs> um, he's in there and he's like, you know what? I bet you I could figure this shit out, Batman. There was a dry bomb that went off and some sort of whatever and whatever and whatever, and I'm going to detectivize this better than you all, because you can't, because you're hurt. And Batman's like, all right, cool. <laughs> so he's like, oh, yeah, no, this guy's super dangerous, but you go ahead and get him. I'm like, I hate you. You're the worst Robin. And uh, so Robin's going through, and he's, he's super fucking capable. I will I will actually say that this this may have been the issue to make me think that, fuck, I might actually like Damian Wayne. Because in case you haven't realized in the last, like, six sentences, I said Damien Wayne's my least favorite Robin. But he's he's going through. He's, he's fucking shit up. He's persevering. Or persevering? Any any type of anything that's coming up against him, he's like, oh, figure this shit out. Oh, that was easy. But then, but then, the Arkham Knight meets him. Because the Arkham Knight is essentially a version of Batman. So one would think that he's able to figure shit out, have backup plans and all that shit as well. He's not just some dude that has pointy ears, um, and, I mean, you could tell right then and there that it's probably, might have fucked up being a little brave, and then the Arkham Knight, he takes off his helmet, and we, we don't know who this fucker is, bum bum bum, but I don't know, I don't, I, I actually, if I had to guess, if I had to guess, pure speculation based off of zero information at all, I would say this is a future version of Damien, or another Robin of some sort. Who fucking knows? This Arkham Knight's brand new to canon, and I think he came from, I don't remember where he was actually derived from. Was it a video game, maybe? I don't remember. I'm sure someone's gonna scream at me about it. I like it. I like it quite a bit. Um, I, I'm, I'm happy to see that Tomasi is still writing after the 1,000 mark. I would have thought that after number 1,000 they would have been like, okay, new creative team. No, it just makes sense to keep Peter J. Tomasi on because he's he's been great. So uh, yeah, hmm, carry on. Justice League Dark 
number 10, James Tinian, the fourth, Alvaro Martinez Bueno, Raul Fernandez, and Brad Anderson. And that same artistic team also did the cover. This is a very deep, dense issue, but that only makes sense. It's James Tinian, the fourth. He's. Dude, he just needs to write novels, is what it comes down to. He's, he's just got too many. Too smart for his own fucking good. He writes an interesting comic, it's just the pacing has a hard time. It's all over the fucking place. It's like Quentin Tarantino trying to write a book. It just doesn't go well for me. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. The story's good enough, though. We got Dr. Fate talking to the, the, the Lords of Order, and they're like, oh, we need to wipe out all of magic. And Dr. Fate's like, but... Just think about all the things are, that are magic, though. And they're like, oh, no, that's cool. We'll just start over. And then turn the page. And we got the feller that Manbat has been trying to, for, like, two fucking issues, bring into whatever. And then you realize because he has a running with Dr. Fate, he's kind of, like, was a little bit of a sidekick, for lack of better words, for a while. So we have information is what it comes down to. And that's why Kirk's, like... Kurt, Kurt, Manbat, like, oh, we need to bring this little fucker in, and that they do, so that explains that, uh, the fucking six pages of the last two books of Manbat going, hmm, we need to get this guy, and it's really just stupid chance and shit, sorry, I'm fucking being mean, I guess, but I don't, I don't like the storytelling style, I like the story, I just don't like the way he tells it, now we're back in Myra, where we've got old Professor, or Professor, Detective Chimp, and Manbat, and that dude that he summoned, and Swamp Thing, and they're like, trying to really just gather themselves, uh, arguing, going back and forth like a Justice League team does, Swamp Thing's like, oh Bobo, it's not your fault, and Bobo's like, but it is my fault, I got the sword and I'm supposed to protect, and Swamp Thing's like, yeah, I guess you're right, you fucked up, <laughs> and... Then, boom, Lords of Order show up, and they're like, hey, we got this proposition for you. But before they proposition them, they only do over-the-pants-mouth stuff. We go over to a dimension... I'm, I'm not... This is stupid spelling. A-E-A-E-A-E. -E How's that how you would say that? A-E-A-E-A-E. A-E-A. -E -A -E. I wouldn't read it. Thank you. Fuck, James Tinney. Make Come on, dude. If you're going to make up shit, give us fucking... Give us things that are pronounceable, at least. This is... I don't, I don't know. So we've got this thirsty chick that's like, Oh, I know everything. And now we've got the other part of Justice League Dark, which is Zatanna and Wonder Woman. And they're, like, looking over this portal. And Cersei's like, Oh, I'm going to show you some shit with this portal. And really, the fact is, is that I'm lost. But Zatanna's like, Oh, no, you're not telling the truth. She's like, Bitch, hand me that rope of... Or lasso of truth. And then... They're like, Oh, well, I guess you're not lying, then. Did you really have to fucking write a whole page of... <laughs> guys, guys. And they're like, oh, Constantine said some shit. Remember that when he was alive? And they're like, oh, yeah, we should do that. And then all of a sudden, Zatanna's like, no! And I don't know why. I, I, I read it three times. It's just... I don't... I've got all these blank panels. All these are pages with zero dialogue. Then we got pages with just filled with dialogue. That mean absolutely nothing to me, but where we need dialogue, I'm just like, what the fuck? Where did the, what? What the fuck is going on here? And then the other kind show up, and they're like, oh yeah, these are the guys that were supposed to be fucking, like, not... Meh. 
And Zatanna's like, let us let us run! So her and Wonder Woman, like, go back, and Cersei stays behind. And she's like, hmm, I, I don't want to go back with him, because I'm devious. And I've got shit to do. Other kind. Let's talk about stuff. And then we go back, and then that's, that's where, Aea? The world of Aea? That, that's where that part of the story ends. Then we get uh, one of the Lords of Order. What's her name? Uh, Sister Symmetry. She's like, check this out. Uh, I'm gonna let y'all motherfuckers live! But all you magic son of a bitches can't have magic anymore. You're gonna live a normal life, and you're just gonna be like Swamp Thing. You're just gonna be a fucking dude that's a tree. You're gonna live or die like a tree would. Um, Bobo, you're you're a monkey with a sword, but it's just a regular ass sword, and you're just a monkey. Essentially, they're like you're you're gonna be fucking useless, but you'll have a life. And if you don't agree, then I'm gonna fucking kill you. The end. Uh, that's. Like I said, the, the, the story in itself could be cool, but they need to get a different writer on it to express the dialogue and the pacing of it all. I, that's just, it could be story by James Tinian, written by fucking anybody else. So, yeah. uh, oh, more, more DC shit to get angry about. God damn, DC has this thing lately for me. I should start out with Batman Beyond, or end with Batman Beyond from now on, huh? Heroes in Crisis, number eight. Wally West did it. He he did it all. He went into Sanctuary thinking that he was the only one in there. He goes into the virtual thing. He's able to... Something glitches or something. And he's able to see all of the sorrow and pain that's ever been recorded. He gets super emo, goes outside. He's like, POWERS! And in order of doing that, he ends up killing everybody around him. And he's like, I gotta fix this. So I gotta cover this shit up immediately. I'm Wally West. I'm the nicest Flash ever. I may be the sweetest DC character ever created, but my first reaction is to, after I accidentally murder everybody, I gotta cover this shit up. So, essentially, I called it. Um, it, it was all based off of sanctuaries, whatever. Oh, I guess I didn't call it. I said nobody was dead. I guess I was wrong. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm okay with saying that. I don't know why there's even going to be... No. Well, I'm not also... I mean, I'm not a not a Wally West fan, but I don't... I'm not a fan of anything that has to do with Flash. I really think that the potential for this book was squandered. Like, the idea of Sanctuary in the beginning, I was like, fuck, this this is a great idea. But to turn it into this? Nah. Nah, it's... Mm-mm. Um, and really, like, I, I don't know how to explain it any better than that, than this is Wally West trying to cover up his bullshit. And I could, spl- I, I could explain in the detail, like, how uh, he made Harley think it was Booster, and Booster think it was Harley, and you just gotta deal with the Speed Force, and he goes into the future, remember, when Poison Ivy's resurrected, and he has to snap his own neck, well, that's the body he brings back. So in some other alter- alternate fucking universe, Wally West is still fucking alive, so he didn't really... I don't know. I don't understand time travel. And I think more confusing than time travel might actually be Tom King's brain and his manner of telling stories and why he would choose the stories he chooses to tell when he's got this great layout to be... I I don't know. Like I said, I'm not going to get into the fucking brain of that dude because it's fucking confusing. I'm going to talk about Marvel Comics now. Finish talking about DC. So, Marvel brings me much joy. And I don't think there's anything more joyous than Darth fucking Vader. Dark Visions, number three, tall, dark, and handsome. Dennis Hopeless, 
David Lopez, Javi, Dina, and Munz de Vicente, covered by Greg Smallwood. This is the love stories of love stories, fuckers. That's right, Vader, love story. And it ain't no Padme bullshit, this ain't... No. <laughs> it's good, hold on. Let's talk about this bitch. So this bitch, this bitch thinks that Vader like her, because she like Vader. And as the human brain works, you know, or alien brain, I don't know what she is. She looks pretty fucking human to me. Uh, you're, you're, you're able to trick yourself into doing, uh, making something become a reality that may not so much be it. Fact is, this chick, she has this infatuation with Vader, and because that she, uh, she's a nurse, and her mentor is Vader's doctor, so she is Vader's nurse, and they're, uh, through through certain instances, they they realize you know, she she kind of gets these little hints like oh he left his cape behind it must have been for me, nah bitch he pissed off he just fucking gave him a, a prostate exam like he just forgot his cape, or whatever happened in that room. And the fact is is that she she really has it in her head that Vader is actually through all of his stony whatever. He needs love, and he's just too fucking hardcore and gangster to admit it. So it's up to her to make the first move. So she keeps having all these visions of, like, her by his side, and as he's, like, force-choking a son of a bitch that spoke down on her, and... Yeah, she's crazy. She's a crazy bitch. So, so crazy, in fact, that she's like, you know what? I'm just gonna walk into Vader's room. Vader never locks his doors, because who the fuck would be stupid enough to just walk into Vader's room? Well, <laughs> this bitch is stupid enough to just walk into Vader's room. She walks in there, and Vader's just sitting there without his helmet, all ugly as fuck. And she's like, oh, shit, this motherfucker's ugly, but I must still love him. And even though he's, and because he's ugly, I think it's all the more reason why he's going to love me more. Because I'm kind of cute. And <laughs> that bitch is wrong. She's so wrong. She's like, Vader, I love you, and we should be together. And Vader's like, mm, what? Jump, you're dead, bitch. Uh, he, he puts it, not it, his, <laughs> his lightsaber, right through her fucking heart. And then you just hear, like, Vader to the bridge. And as he walks out, he's like, ah, cleaner guy, uh, clean this trash out of my room. And he just got this dead bitch, just like in his room. And as he puts on his cape, and like, I'm Darth Vader, bitch, like, all is well. I don't need no love. This right here, this is the love story that I want in comics. This is the only type of love story that I ever want to read. This. This is love. <laughs> Vader loves what he does. It ain't about a woman. It's, it ain't about uh, human love. He's passionate about what the fuck he loves. Or what he's doing. And that's just, bang, the best this ever. Dennis Hopeless, I'm going to say it a thousand more times, is should be in charge of everything Darth Vader from here on. Because that dude just gets it. Nothing against Charles Soule's run. But Hopeless did it better. Hulk Marines, number three, Greg Pack. Ario Anandito Mori Halloween. Covered by Greg Lange, Liston, and Frank DeMotta. So we know that we've got... Clay and Logan and uh, Bruce, they're all figuring shit out. Maybe we're all teamed up against each other for a reason. Let's go save Clay's family. And it was all just kind of like uh, the way that 
it all works out. They're all like funneled into this situation. All produced by Leader and Dr. Alba. And they're in coots working together. They're able to capture Logan and Bruce separately from Clay. Clay separates. And they inject him with these nanobots. So they're... Essentially, they just bloodshot the shit out of it. And that's that's how they're able to control Hulk. And uh, what they do is they Hulk Vereen them all. And the, the, now Bruce and Logan are both green and have big claws and... They're hulking. They're Hulk Vereens as well. That's what it comes down to. And they're able to be controlled because of the nanobots. Clay makes his or the leader and Dr. Alva. They unleash him on the city. They're like, oh, this should be cool. And while they're out fucking shit up being Hulk Vereens, let's celebrate that we created two Hulk Vereens that actually obey. And it ain't just any Hulk Vereens. It's fucking Logan and Bruce Banner. Let's, uh, let's. Looks like maybe we should be a thing. We work good together. And boom! Fucking who comes to the rescue but Clay? I don't know. I'm, I'm Clay, bitch. I'm going to fuck all this shit, shit up. And Leader and Alba's like, well, he can't take them both on. Uh, by the way, nanobots to you, Clay. And Clay's like, oh, you got me. Oh, oh, psych. My brain's better. That's why I'm so different than these guys. I'm able to control this shit. I don't have like a, a, a rage going on about me that I'm constantly fighting. Like I'm, I'm just a normal military dude that got caught up in this shit. I don't have daddy issues or anything like that. So I'm, I'm better. And really, when it comes down to it, I think mine actually fucking be better. The way he's been written by Greg Pak. Yeah, I said it. And then Captain America and Black Widow show up. Because, why not? Well, Captain America kind of has developed a relationship with Clay throughout Hulk or er, uh, Weapon H, that 12-issue Maxi series. Or just regular series that got cancelled conveniently at 12 issues. I don't know. Really, what it comes down to is this: these last three issues of Hulk should have just been the finale, the three-part arc, the finale of Weapon H, and just gone 15 issues and made it... Yeah, because it, really what it comes down to is Every motherfucker in this book gets a happy ending. Even the bad guys. They're like, oh, we got away. Let's, uh, and Leader with his big goofy green head and Dr. Alba and her maniacal crazy bitch self is like, oh, yeah, no, I think we work good together. Look what we did. Minus, you know, failing against Clay again, but what are you going to do? And somehow, I forget how, you know, Hulk and Wolverine get turned back to not Hulk Vereens again, but ah, it's, I enjoyed it. I think it was unnecessary. The first the first issue of this, this miniseries kind of made it seem like, oh shit, this is going to set some shit up for the future. No, it's just a three-issue kind of, what do you call it, a guilty pleasure. I'm fine with it. Whatever. Twelve bucks well spent. Thanos, number one. Didn't think we were going to get a Thanos series for a while on account of how good Donny Cates did with his. Very complete run on Thanos. Plus, Thanos is dead right now. Fucking, so what are we going to do? Let's tell a prequel to Thanos. How he is, what he is. Uh, like, it's pretty much the story of Thanos before he got his fucking head cut off by Gamora. Uh, Teeny Howard, Ariel Olivetti, and Antonio Fabella on the creative team. And covered by Jeff DeCal. And we got Gamora. She's pretty much narrating this story. He's like, oh, I'll tell you about Thanos, bitches. Thanos. Ain't always blah, 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 blah. You know how that shit goes. 
And really, when we get a we get an in-depth look at the day in the life of Thanos, chilling on his ship, crew's bored as fuck. Oh, when are we gonna get a mission? Our missions have sucked. Let's just. I'm tired of playing cards all the time. I'm getting bored. And part of his crew is ebony, like a younger-looking ebony maw, and you got a long, younger-looking Proxima Midnight, and then you got some bug creatures and shit. Like they give them all names. Uh, I guess I could say Ferox and Festy. Ma- Don't get attached to any of them because these motherfuckers are dying. That's why I'm not naming them. Uh, and then, so I think someone's got to go drain his alien bladder or something like that. And as he's going off, I think he, like, mutters something about Thanos or something. I don't know. Fact is, boom, he gets pinned up against the wall by Thanos and his PJs. And I kind of like Thanos' PJs, because they're still, like, royal. And he's, I like that he still has pouches on him, like Rob Leefield fucking designed his, his pajamas. I don't know. Uh, I like it, though. I do like the design. It's, I've never seen Pedro, uh, Pedros. They know it's so comfortable. Pedros. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, really, the, the take on all this is Thanos is depressed. He's really trying to win over death. And in order to do so, you got to kill some motherfuckers. Hence the, the crew members that have been randomly going missing. There's been a pattern to this. Once a crew member goes missing over some random amount of time, all of a sudden they get a mission... So apparently the the death is able to give Thanos the uh, whatever he, the gump he needs to go out and complete a mission. I'm not sure how it works yet. It's still kind of world building, I would assume. This guy in the name of death or gets his head cut open with this pretty sweet saw by Thanos and whoop whoop mission next day. Their mission is really to just go completely wipe out this this planet of peaceful people. And after they wipe out this planet of peaceful people, the crew's like, Thanos, that was, uh, why are we doing this? That was, these guys ain't no threat. What are they going to do? That was, that was easy. I like, if we're going to get blood on our hands, I at least somebody would want to attempt to, like, poke me back. And Thanos is like, bitches, y'all question me. This is what's happening. These guys, they know enemy. They know our enemies. We don't know that, but we're just going to assume that because they're not with us, they're against us. And we don't need any motherfuckers sneaking up on us because they saw our ship fly by our planet or anything like that. So everything we're going to fly by, if they're not with us, we're just going to wipe them out. So they don't need them talking, son of a bitches. We don't need no surprises on our galactic quest of conquering. And Proxima Midnight and Emily Morale like, dog, we like learning from you. That was, that's super smart, Thanos. I really, I really dig that. Back on the ship, days pass. Oh no, fucking, they're, uh, we're bored again. And I, actually, I think they even bring in, oh, yeah, so this is what happens. Uh, <clears throat> Thanos, he gets this, this message saying, oh, the, the, the church of, what was it? The same church that's going on with the um, old man quote, the church of something truth, or whatever, whatever it is. They're, they're, they're going to take over at some point in time, but right now, they're kind of, they have nothing going for them. They're up and coming. Thanos is like, well, we got to stop this shit. And uh, in order to do that, he has the same type of mentality. Like, we got to go through and we got to wipe out anybody that this universal, universal church of truth, that's what it is, can possibly recruit. And they're going to, over time, recruit a bunch of motherfuckers, and that's how uh, the the guy, what's his name, Qatar or something like that, that's how he's going to come into power. Well, I forget his name. And, yeah, so Thanos is like, well, we're just, and let's wipe out motherfuckers. And they go to a little planet 
called, um, uh, it's, it's a, it sounds like it's straight out of Star Wars. Ren, I, I just can't pronounce it, Wobi or whatever. It's Gamora's planet. This is where we meet Gamora. And as Thanos is just wiping motherfuckers out, he sees Gamora, and he, he spares her. As Gamora looks beyond Thanos, is like, oh, who that bitch? Well, that bitch just so happens to be Death. And Death sees Thanos spare someone. Death is like, you weak. And then Thanos is like, wait, you saw that bitch? I thought only I could see that bitch. And Gamora's like, oh, no, I saw that bitch. She mad at you? And that's kind of... I think that's pretty much where it ends for the most part. So what we get is really just a day in the life of Thanos conquering shit before, you know, he's he's really the big bad Thanos. Like the Black Order's still kind of not really even developed, not even mentioned. It, like, it's just Ebony Maw and Proxima Midnight are just motherfuckers playing cards with an insect dude that gets his head sawed open. So, yeah, no, it's, I dig it. I dig it quite a bit. Teeny Howard... Might be able to write fuck Thanos. Let's move on to Doctor Strange, number 13, Legacy 403, Mark Waits, Barry Kitson, Scott Kobush, Scott Hanna, and Brian Reaver. Covered by Jesus Saez. So we've got Doctor Strange in the Nether Realms trying to prevent, Galact- or prevent Galactus from fucking shit up. Uh, this, this guy that... Uh, um, I, I forget what the alien's name. He came down in the last issue of Doctor Strange. He's like, Doctor Strange, we got to prevent Galactus from fucking shit up. And Doctor Strange is like, Galactus just does what he does. And he's like, well, you're not worried about Earth? And Strange is like, but we made a pact. Earth is cool from Galactus. Anybody else? Sorry. And the the, the alien's like, well, uh, what about us? That's not fair. Um, you know what? You're not going to help Doctor Strange. I got this. So he cast Galactus into the world of magic, the nether realms. Strange is like, well, that's a bad thing, because if Galactus starts devouring planet, like devouring planets with magic outside of the world of science, then that's, uh, that's like, catastrophic events could happen. We don't know what the fuck could happen. Doctor Strange goes into the, the Nether Realms. Now we're at issue 13, just to kind of give you a bit of a synopsis of all of this lead up. Um... Strange at this point, he's like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna, uh... Well, Galactus... He sees a planet in the distance. And he's like, I'm going to eat that planet. And Doctor Strange is like, I don't think you should eat that planet. And Galactus, he goes after that planet. And it just so happens, whatever the planet is, is, um... I'm going to, another name I'm going to butcher. Masan Hagoroth. And he's this godlike creature. And Doctor Strange is pretty much... Like, oh, you know what? This, this god could take Galactus. Or at least hold him, hold him off for a while. And Galactus is so hungry that this god that has never... I mean, he goes toe-to-toe with, um, what do they say, uh, fucking... Some bad motherfuckers is what it comes down to. And Galactus just eats him and devours his energy. Galactus is like, mmm, num num, this good. Now Galactus is super hungry because he's never had anything like this. And then he starts kind of going crazy. And Strange is like, oh shit, it's already happening. He devours one fucking thing in this world and... Galactus is, there's no balance is what it comes down to. It's all about a balance that Strange is trying to preserve. Well, he's, he sees all of this and he's trying to cast a spell to transport and bind Galactus and he's just not powerful enough. And then all of a sudden, the spell gets more and more powerful and then another ex-wife shows up. Um, Strange's ex-wife, what's her name? Uh, Umar. No, I take that back. It's, uh... Yeah, no, it is. Clea, that's her name. 
And Clea, she's powerful enough to do what they need to do to bind and uh, restrain Galactus for a certain period of time. They're like, okay, we should team up. You know, we're, 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 we may be ex-wife and ex-husband, but we're still, you know, not ex-friends is how they put it. And then his, uh, Clea's like, by the way, I know someone that could really help us. You're not going to like it, though. And that's when we get Umar, which is the sister of Dormammu. So now we've got Dormammu's sister teaming up to all help preserve this blah, blah, blah. And what it comes down to is Strange is like, you know what? I know how to do this. I know how to make Galactus not hunger and still bind him in this way. I'm going to be his herald. I'm going to be the herald of Galactus. Doctor Strange, the herald of Galactus. And they're like, I don't think it's a bad idea. Or I don't think it's a good idea. Strange is like, I'm going to do it. And that's where it comes. So we are going to get Dr. Strange kind of becoming a villain of sorts. And, well, he does go through for a bit and give us the night. And he goes to approach his first thing. But he doesn't approach it like, say, Silver Surfer or Cosmic Ghost Rider would have as a herald. He approaches it in, much, in a much more... <clears throat> um, I, 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 I don't know. I, like, like a bard would, not so much as like a destroyer, if that makes any sense to all the nerds. He's a talker. Like, oh, you know what? Uh, you're you're going to get devoured. You, I think your planet's worthy of being devouring. It's just going to be... Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. It's Doctor Strange being a herald of Galactus. I don't know what to... I love it. I fucking love it. Doctor Strange has been amazing the last few issues. I was... I almost dropped it. I did. I almost dropped it. Let's move on to... Uh, oh, Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man. The Hunted Part 4. Number 20 Legacy... Uh, 821. Nick Spencer, Humberto Ramos, Victor Olazaba, Edgar Delgado, and Eric Arcianega. And Delgado and Arcianega also did the cover. There's a lot going on in this book, but at the same time, it's all like quick pages. Yeah, it's. It starts out with Black Ant. Black Ant got betrayed by Taskmaster, because Taskmaster, you know, as you all know, if you've been following the story, they're gathering animal like creatures to put into this Thunderdome and be hunted by hunters that are using this robotic AI type of whatever. Hunters think they're safe by... It's, yeah, it's a whole thing. Black Ant has been betrayed, so now he's talking with Spider-Man and he's like, oh, these were the plans and this is what's going on. Taskmaster has Lizard. Lizard gets free because he's he knows that his boy Belly... How come all these kids' names are Billy? And there are all these ex-wives this week and kids showing up? I don't know. Um, it's just a weird pattern of events. It sounds like I'm talking about the same book. Lizard mad. Lizard escape. Lizard go find Billy. Black cat protect Billy. Hunter attack Billy. Black cat get mad at Hunter. <laughs> and I say it like this because I feel like that's the pacing of the storytelling. I might be realizing that I'm not a fan of Nick Spencer's Spider-Man. I, I, I'm hoping it changes. But one of the hunters, he's going after this thing, and he realizes it's a kid. He was like, oh, shit, I wasn't... I didn't know I signed up for, to kill kids. I just thought that was like a really giant lizard that I was attacking. And at this point, you realize that the hunter, he's like, oh, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna... I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out fucking trying to take off the AI mask. And he's like, oh, it won't come off. It won't come off. Well, you realize that Craven, the whole time, he wasn't like pro-hunter. Is more about wiping everybody out. Getting two stones bird with one rock. 
and by doing that, the hunters take out the hunted by also killing themselves as the hunter. That's a, I don't know. I don't know if I like this story. I can understand why a lot of people would. It's just not enough Craven for me. And you realize that Craven, he's, he's, there's a lot more going on. You get daddy issues, like the son of Craven. You're like, oh, you're not as hard as I thought. He goes after Lizard. And then when he goes after Lizard, he's like, I thought you were like this crazy godlike beast. Where's that rage? And Lizard exclaims, I don't know if I'm all that ragey anymore. It's this chip. So, I don't know. It was weird. I think I, I think it's going to come to a conclusion soon. It ends with Spider-Man being surrounded by all these furry creatures that I've never seen before. Fucking, I don't know. Hunted, part four. Spider-Man. It's good, I bet, to some people. Superior Spider-Man. Number five. Legacy number 38. Christos Gage, Mike Hawthorne, Wade Von Grawbadger, Andy Owens, and Jordy Belair, covered by Travis Charest. So, Otto, or whatever, I'm just going to call him Otto, I, don't, I forget what his alias is now. He wants to date now. Now, the first three pages of this book made me think, uh-oh, my favorite Spider-Man book just lost me. <laughs> Another love story going brilliant. Spider-Man, he's trying to, he's trying to date. And he's going out with this chick, and she's like, yeah, you're too young for me. And Otto's like, well, fucking check it out. I might be a little bit older than you think. I have a confession to make. You can't be scared. I used to lead the Sinister Stick at six. I'm actually Otto Octavius. And she's like, oh, no big deal. Peace. She runs out. <laughs> and <laughs> when he goes after her, <clears throat> uh, she... She turns into this crazy, demonic, lizard-like creature. And he's got a fighter, and then the, she's like, Police! Police! Or before she turns, she calls over the police, and the police turn into lizard creatures. And Spider-Man, who's supposed to be a good guy, has to beat these police, but they clearly look like bad guys. And then she, one of them like crawls into her throat. She's possessed, and he's got a... He's like snatches her up and starts running and like I don't want to beat you I kind of want to like bump butts later on so we're gonna be cool for a minute I'm not gonna hit you that might make it weird later but the citizens are like oh shit Spider-Man who we thought was good is carrying away this perfectly nice old lady the fact is they don't see them as demons like Spider-Man does so it's all a matter of perception kind of like a scroll maybe I don't know no, definitely not scrolls. Spider-Man eventually tracks down the source of all of this. Uh, I forget what they call it, like, premonition, or what the fuck do they call his name? It's a weird name. It's just Pandemonium. Track down Pandemonium, who's essentially the guy releasing all of these demons about and possessing all of these people, and... Yeah, and then Doctor Strange gets involved, because magic. Uh, essentially, what you get here is Superior Spider-Man and Doctor Strange... Totally fucking up a love story. What you thought was going to be a love story turned into a pretty fucking sweet issue of them trying to tackle and beat a demon master. Totally safe. Once again, I almost stopped reading after the first four pages because I really thought they were going to just fucking lose me. But Christos Gage is better than that. He's so much better than that. 
And this proved it. Fantastic Four, number nine. Legacy, 654. Dan Slott, Aaron Cooter, Stefano Caselli, Paco Medina, and Eric Arcianega. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fantastic Four has been incredible. Incredible as of late, since after the wedding. I even like the stuff with the wedding and the lead up and remember we're all thing again. But since since they've gone to fight Doom and all of this, it's just hmm. <laughs> oh man. We know that the Fantastic Four, they're all locked up. Doom's got everybody in their own separate containment. Uh Frank or Reed is stretched and frozen to the point where if he tries to move anymore, he'll shatter into a million pieces. Thing is in a situation where if he tries to struggle, all of the other Fantastic Four and whatever version of containment so they're going to be in is just their situation is going to get worse. Johnny Storm is in a liquid oxygen type of containment, so with no with water there is no fire. But the last issue ended with Sue broadcasting live the true exposed version of Doctor Doom. All old naked and scarred and whatnot. I mean, he's pissed. He is very, very mad because he's n never been seen like this in the public before. Naked and scarred. I thought like a lot of his armor was melted to his skin. Well, uh, so what we get is Sue pretty much I, I think this is I, what I think is this is a re reveal of her showing a new version of power. She's able to make something else go invisible. So she makes Doom's armor perceive invisible. And when he goes to put his arms up to cover himself, she makes his arms go invisible. So, yeah, it's... Oh, man, it's... I thought it was really cool. And then she's... Yeah, and what she's doing is you underestimated us. And really, that if there's one word to describe this book, it is underestimation. Johnny Storm, through all of his time working with Franklin, has been able to figure out ways to get out of things in certain situations. So what does he do? He's able to generate heat without flame. Well, when you generate heat inside of liquid, eventually you're going to get bubbling. And when you're in a glass containment cell or any type of containment cell, eventually if you heat it up hot enough, it's going to break. That's how Johnny gets out. Franklin, working with Thing, as long as he ha has, has learned the value of persevering through pain. So Franklin, as cold and as stretched out as he is, he's able to manage to still break out of his containment cell by focusing his pain management to, and going through... And, like, you could see him cracking and shattering and all that, and he's still fucking grinding through. He gets out. So now, Sue is able... She, she was out at the last issue. Frank's out... Or, I mean, Richard is out. Richard Reed? Franklin? I can't... I can't uh, all their names... All the Reeds and Richards and all of that shit in the Marvel Universe confuses me. Mr. Fantastic is out. And Johnny Storm's out. That leaves Thing to be like, oh, so no one else is going to suffer? What Thing learned over time is patience. So that's, that's the, I thought that was cool how he wrote that in. Like, Thing didn't have to go through anything except be patient for the rest of his, his team to persevere. And then he'll make it. So I, I thought that was written very, very well. And so the guys, they're all, they, they get Doom. Doom, eventually, um, he's still Doomy, and he's like, oh, I'm going to kill you all right now. And it looks like this is it. And they're all looking at Mr. Fantastic, and he's like, for the first time, I, don't, I think we're fucked, guys. I really think we're fucked. 
But there's other stuff going on in this issue that I touch on for just a second. Where do kids be? Uh, well, one of the uncles is out. He's trying to rescue Franklin, the son, because he realizes that he's with this chick that Franklin thinks is a friend. Turns out she's a bad bitch. As soon as he gets there, she gets mad. She's like, oh, you can't take my friend. Releases all these demons. Franklin's like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I just know this bitch. And really what that is is setting up how the Fantastic Four is able to get out of this situation. We know that Val, the daughter, is all about them portals and time travels and whatnot if you've been reading the last, what, seven, eight issues of this. And just when you think Doom is about to smite down the Fantastic Four, Portal opens up and all of those same demons that that crazy bitch friend released comes flying after Doom and then the Fantastic Four go back into the Portal. All is all's well. Doom's in Latveria getting smothered by demons for just a few seconds until Doom takes care of that. And the family's all together and end of an arc. And I really, really enjoy the way Fantastic Four has been written with the first two arcs. We got a wedding, which is kind of a big deal considering all of the botched weddings that have happened. And this is a wedding that should have been happening a long time ago. But then as soon as the wedding happens in the same issue, like Doctor Doom, and we got four or five issues of, of fucking Doctor Doom and Galactus arc. And the Fantastic Four, working in a Fantastic Four manner, overcoming... <laughs> I love it. I fucking love this book so much. Carrying on. Let us talk about the War of the Realms tie-ins. There's three of them this week. So, uh, Uncanny X-Men will be one of the tie-ins this week. And this is not Uncanny X-Men tying in. This is a War of the Realms mini-series involving the Uncanny X-Men. And so it's titled Issue 1, but here's where Marvel fucked up, as its legacy numbering is 635, but if you read the last issue of Uncanny X-Men, they also labeled it Issue 635, so... Whoopsie doodle, Marvel. Um, you kind of fucked up. Matthew Rosenberg, Pe Pere Perez, Rachel Rosenberg did the gizzards, and David Yardine did the cover. Essentially, what this miniseries is going to revolve around are the newer, younger versions of X-Men. So it still starts out with Cyclops going through his list, like, uh, yeah, uh, exterminating p potential mutant threats. And they're in the middle of exterminating a potential mutant threat, and then Danny's like, I gotta go! And the X-Men are like, oh, okay, and Magic's like, oh, she goes where I go. So they take off, and, well... This is what confused me. I actually, I, 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 I'm not, this, I literally had to read this book five times because I'm not familiar with these characters, their names, and their, their, their aliases. Like, uh, what's her name? Wolfsbane being Rain? Didn't know that because I haven't been reading all that much. I mean, I, I thought I'd been reading, but I don't know these characters is what it comes down to. So it could be confusing. Like, Danny is, uh, um, what it comes down to is, she takes off because the War of the Realms is going on. I didn't know that she was actually an Asgardian as well. So that explains her departure. And I actually had to go look that up in order for that to make sense to me. So I'm here to help you out when you go to read this. And if you weren't aware, Danny's an Asgardian, and that explains her disappearance. Cyclops leads a team. They're fighting the whole time. Not necessarily fighting, but Cyclops is not super happy with how they're going about things, or whatever. Cyclops is still a dick, but now he's just an actual Cyclops dick, because he only got one eye. Uh, Hope Summers and Banshee are recruited, 
um, unwillingly by Cyclops, but because the X-Men don't technically have a leader now, who's he to say? Group says, well, we could use the help, even though Hope Summers had just technically shot out Cyclops' eye. And she's, she even says, Grandpa, you can ground me after the war. <laughs> and uh, the coolest thing about this book, though, is actually Banshee. His entrance, his fucking entrance, Banshee's fucking entrance, oh my god. He comes through, right through the back of a frost giant's fucking skull. Whee! Just like Banshee does. I don't, I can't make that noise. It's more like scree, is how they exclaim it. Fact is, there's troll, or giant teeth flying. It is panel of the week. I'm just, panel of the, panel of the week. And I really, <laughs> Perry Perez and Rachel Rosenberg fucking killed this book visually. Uh, it's, it's going to be a three-issue miniseries, and essentially this is going to be, it's all, it's going to be about the, the, the newer, younger X-Men. And we're going to get to know them a little bit better. I don't like that I had to look up the fact that, um, oh, what's her nuts is an Asgardian. Danny was an Asgardian. And she's also, uh, what's her, what's her, uh, fucking mutant name? I don't know. She's just a bow and arrow. <laughs> I don't fucking know. I don't know these guys. But I'm enjoying getting to know them. And I'm, 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 I'm actually thankful for this. I hope that Marvel gets their legacy numbering right, though, because this shit could be confusing. Because it clearly isn't happening during the same events of the actual issue 635. But it is what it is. That's not, that's not any of the creator's fault. That's on Marvel. I really, really enjoyed this book, despite having... Once I read it for the fifth time. Um, originally, if I had to go through and read it the first time, I would have rated it like a 2 if, that, if, I, if ratings matter. But now it, it gets a solid 4.963. Venom... Also, it War of the Realms tie-in, but this is actually the Venom series. Number 13, Legacy 178. No Donny Cates. No Ryan Stegman. Even though he did this amazing fucking cover. This is Colin Bunn. Um, uh, Iban Coelho and Andres Moza doing, are on the creative team here. And Stegman, J.P. Meyer, and Frank Martin, the usual creative team, did the cover. And Portal opens up. Dylan, Eddie's son, but Dylan doesn't, he still thinks that Eddie's his brother, and Eddie, run, they're, they're in New York now, and Eddie knows, the, the safest place he knows in New York is some uh, safe house, and his, his number one goal is to make sure his son is safe. Not really sure, I don't remember the portal thing, I think that was like how the end of issue 12 opens up, or ends, don't know for sure, I'm okay with it, if they just want to throw in a portal and Eddie and Dylan are in New York, comic book. Fucking deal. I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Eddie's trying to protect his son. These dark elves attack, and in the background, we had, uh, if you've been reading any of the... I forget where they come in. I'm pretty sure they're in one of the War of the Realms issues, but the witches are part of Malachus, whatever. They're observing Eddie as he snaps the neck of a dark elf trying to save Dylan with no powers. If you've been reading Venom, Venom peace. The symbiote is not a thing. Eddie is just a human dude. Um, well, one of the witches nudges her sisters, and she's like, well, this could be cool. Like, let's recruit that fucker. He badass. The two sisters are like, no, that's a stupid idea. I don't like that. Sister goes out, the one witch goes off and does it anyway. She approaches Eddie. She's like, it was super cool how you just snapped that elf's neck. She's like, just stone, bro. I can, like, make anything you want happen. It's called a dream stone. Eddie touches the dream stone, and he is... He, creates this venom-type symbiote thing, 
Only it's not really Venom, he just has the powers that the Venom symbiote would. Only he looks way super cooler. And the witch, she's pretty much, well, you work for Malachus now. How do you like that? And before she could finish her sentence, Venom just eats her fucking arm. Like, no, I don't. No. No, I don't. Which realizes, oh, shit, maybe my sisters were right. That's a bad idea. I gotta fix this shit and make sure the sisters don't know. Meanwhile, Eddie is just fucking up the streets of New York as Venom, but with a, a more, more of a rage than he's ever felt before. But he's also very happy that he doesn't have another voice in his head. His, it's all the rage is coming for him, from him. And he doesn't know how to deal with this we are not Venom thing. And we even get a panel where he explains, I am Venom. But once again, still trying to battle this rage. Uh, <laughs> through all of this, the, the, the ending. If all of this wasn't enough, the ending is fucking mind-blowing. Because the witch is, she's trying to fix this shit. And so she's trying to recruit someone else with another Dreamstone. Of all the fucking people, of all the fucking people that she recruits, it's motherfucking Green Goblin. When she goes to pass the stone, you see in the reflection of just a little bit of the Green Goblin face. And in that last fucking page, man, like just that last fucking page, holy fuck. I am so goddamn excited. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think that it would be possible to write in Venom into this timeline. Because of how Donny Cates has been writing Venom. This is not a Venom story. This is an Eddie Brock battling his demons story. But Colin Bunn came in and did his Colin Bunn thing and fucking blew all of our goddamn minds. All of them. All of them. What was I looking at there? The back, the back page. Yeah, no, I saw that. Oh, that's the Green Goblin being possessed by a Dreamstone. The what? same. Yes, because the Dreamstone is what enables an Eddie. Pumpkinhead. I know, right? <laughs> I know, right? It's so fucking cool, guys. Once again, read it. Go through and read this. Uh, you don't it really... It makes me think, though. DC missed out on a hardcore scarecrow design at one point. <laughs> How that might have happened at some point. Who, who, who knows? Who knows? That issue, though, was fucking amazing. The last book of the overviews is uh, Avengers. Number 18, Legacy 718, Jason Aaron. Ed McGinnis, Mark Morales, and Justin Ponser. So we got our usual creative team. The thing is, is that Jason Aaron did his thing where he writes... Jason Aaron, if you're not aware, he's responsible for this whole War of the Realms thing for the most part. He's not obviously not writing all of the books, but it's all under his massive vision that he has been slowly developing for many of you. Many a year. Many, many a year. Last time we got a Thor issue, which is also a run that is dedicated that Jason Aaron normally writes. We didn't get Thor. We got Loki. Well, here we are in Avengers number 18, and we don't get no Avengers. We get the Squadron Supreme. Hey, remember the last page of issue number 10 or 700 Legacy for Avengers when we got? I don't know if it was the last page. Last page was Blade, I think. But one of those pages where we just got a brief glimpse of Agent Coulson, who's very cynical at this point after the whole Hydra thing, Hail Hydra thing, Secret War, Secret Empire. He's recruited the Squadron Supreme. The thing is, this is the Squadron Supreme of only America. America only. Only America matters. Only America matters in the eyes of Agent Coulson because of how cynical he has become. Essentially what we're getting here is meet the Squadron Supreme. And more than anything, it is really just, uh, we got a better Justice League than you, DC. 
because essentially that's what this is. This is a, a ju- like we got Hyperion, who is their Superman character. We got oh, what's her fucking name? Oh, let me turn to the page here. We got a flashlight character they call the Blur, and we get oh, what's her name? Power Princess, who is very very obviously Wonder Woman. And Dr. Spectrum, who would, I would imagine is their Martian Manhunter. fact is, it's a total ripoff, but better. I like him more. Um, yeah, I, I see the look. Yeah, it's, it, it's just cool. Now, there's, there's something about this book visually that I'm not sure I understand, and after I thought about it for a second, I, I come to the conclusion that it is actually a brilliant, a brilliant tone that they possess. All of these pages, as far as the color goes by... Uh, Ponser, this entire book has this pinkish orange hue to it, except for when there's a frost giant involved. Um, but I, I didn't find it all that visually appealing, especially knowing what Ponser is capable of, until I realized that it's really just showing all of the war going on about him. The, the, the skies are ablaze. And that, at least that's what I got out of it. That's the explanation I come with, up with, because if it wasn't for the War of the Realms happening, I'd be going, why is this book all pink? And orange. I mean, these colors aren't pink, or these characters aren't pink and orange. But when it all came down to it, it made sense. It's more. This book is more than about the Squadron Supreme so much as it is about Agent Coulson, and his. He's cynical. He's extremely cynical. And you realize how I mean, Coulson died, and he's back without an explanation. Well, I think we all know how this motherfucker happens based off the last page. Coulson's meeting with this son of a bitch. Uh, this unknown character, just a fancy meal of zebra meat. <laughs> We're eating zebra meat, and it's being served to him by this demon hand. Now, based off of dialogue bubbles, my first thought was, oh shit, he's fucking with Dormammu? And we got Dormammu's sister and another issue we just read, because they used the same text that they use for Dormammu. Yes, I read so much that I, I know a character who's talking based off of the font that they use. It's not Dormammu. Motherfucking Mephisto. 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 And Agent Coulson. Bumping clams together. Is Agent Coulson going to be a, uh, what do they call it? Um, one of the Ghost Rider motherfuckers. Uh, a Spirit of Vengeance? I don't fucking know. The fact is, is that Eric Coulson strictly is all about the red, white, and blue. He cannot stress this. Fuck everybody else. All that matters is the United States, and I've got the Squadron Motherfucking Supreme to help bitches. You ain't seen them in a minute, not since the Civil War II, and they got a four-issue fucking miniseries that wasn't wasn't all that redeeming, to be honest. Jason Aaron writing Squadron Supreme? You bet your fucking tits it's gonna be good. But, no Avengers in an Avengers book. I think at this point, every between Thor and Avengers, the the series that Jason Aaron normally writes, I don't think that's what we're gonna get. I, I, I don't. Know. I dig it though. I dig it quite a fucking bit. That's really all I got for overviews. Uh, I I did read a bunch more books though, and I uh, I throw all those in the honorable mention section. And these are not necessarily books that I didn't like or anything like that. Necessarily, they're more. Things I couldn't figure out what to talk about or give a proper overview of without being hung by the nerd community. Avengers: Edge of Infinity, number one. Ralph Macchio. I I, I read it. I, I think it was completely unnecessary, to be honest. It's Modoc. Did you say Ralph Macchio? 
Not, it's not Ralph Macchio. Okay. It's something else Macchio. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's why I said Macchio. I just read Macchio. I knew that wasn't it. It is Ralph Macchio. No way. Yeah. No way. Look it up. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You keep talking. That probably explains why I didn't understand it a whole lot, because he's a karateer and not a writer. Yeah, you, you, keep, you keep reading on, and I'm gonna look this up. Uh, yeah, no, I, it was it was just fine. I, I just didn't understand the purpose of it. I know there was Modoc involved in something, and yeah. Oh dear God, it's spelled exactly the same way. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fucking rot. I thought when I opened it up, I was like Ralph Macchio. Where do I know that name before? Sweep the leg, sweep the leg. Oh, fucking Modoc, sweep the leg. I think they're two different people. Oh, gotcha. Well. Jesus. Yeah, no, that Ralph Macchio is 81 years old, apparently. Ah. Hmm, what do we know? So it's not the Karate Kid. That 81 Ralph Macchio writes a comic book like the Karate Kid would, though. And I don't know. I don't fucking know. Spawn. There's a, there's a different Ralph Macchio. Google's lying to me. Never mind. Go on. Okay. Well, you look it up. For yourself. Yeah. No, I mean, not you, the listener. They can figure it out. Okay, it says that the, the comic book... Uh, comic book editor is not related to the Karate Kid. Oh, so, so somebody else has asked. <laughs> yes, somebody else has asked. Gotcha. Spawn number 296. The only reason I'm not talking about this book is because essentially all it is is the history of Spawn for the next five issues. We're going to get 296 up until 300, so 296, so four issues, 96, 97, 8, 99, and 300 is going to be bam, Spawn 300. Which is going? We all we all know how McFarland feels about this. It's going to be the longest independent comic book run of all time. So, I loved the way that this story was told. I wasn't sure how they were going to cram 295 issues into three issues, but fuck, is this good? And the back the back of this book actually gives every single character an instance that's referred back to on this. There's actually a uh, um, a section that goes through and tells you exactly what comic book that the first appearance or instance of that was, if you want to go back and read the whole thing. It's, I love what McFarlane is doing with this. And, yeah. Um, the Realm, number 13. After, I, I just decided that I'm going to read them in five issue spurts, because I just have a hard time. If they come out in a month, I have a hard time adapting to the characters and learning to love the characters. The only reason I'm still... So, I, I'm still reading it with this, well, not reading it, is because of how in love I fell with, those aren't the right combination of words in that order. I really fell in love with the first five issues of The Realm when I read it, and then it just took way too long of a break, and when we got back into the second arc, six through whatever, six through ten, I just wasn't as into the characters as much. So, I just, like I said, it's, it's a book that I, I feel should be read in volumes. Fight Club 3, number 4. Super fucking crazy, weird, goddamn book. It's It does need to be read all at once. Despite what Polonix says, you are going to have to collect it by the issue because apparently the, the misinformation section at the beginning of every book, which I find to be completely fucking irrelevant to anything that could possibly be going on in the story, I, I have... With my own ears, with Polonix standing two feet in front of me, he has told me this is the most important part of the book, and it will not be included in the the trade when it comes out. 
So, I don't fucking know. It's, it's, it's weird, and it's Polonix, so what, what else could you expect? Bloodshot Rising Spirit number six. This book was dope, but it... <laughs> I see your excitement. It was. It was fucking dope. It's, it's bloodshot being fucking bloodshot. I don't know what to say other than... <clears throat> ah, bam, because <clears throat> this is fucking bloodshot being fucking dope. Read it. That's all I got for the honorable mentions. Let's get on to the visual shit, the pretty shit. The stuff that I put on my wall. I display it proudly. And god damn it, what, uh, there's been this this pattern. When a Spawn book comes out... It's just, the, the beautiful thing about Image Comics is their $3 price tags. But when Spawn comes out, it tends to always get at least about 9 bucks from me. Because I buy every single variant that comes out. Because Spawn does a... Uh, a black and white Todd McFarlane ink, and then we get the Virgin, along with the original uh, trade dress. This fucking Virgin, Matina and uh, McFarlane team up. This is not the typical. A lot of these team ups have been real dark, gloomy, heavy in the green with the covers. This one, I actually had to look and I was like, is that fucking Matina? Matina developed this steez that I'm I'm not familiar with, but fuck is this cover going to be hung proudly and like i said i also got the uh the black and white ink just todd mcfarlane no matina variant as well just because i love some fucking spawn and i'm super excited that i could actually i kind of know what the fuck's going on with some spawn now uh dc variants i find that uh, i'm starting to see a roller coaster effect there'll be one week where i'll get ever since dc started doing the the virgin variants or at least since the first of the year when the virgin variants first came out up until the first of the year i felt like i was buying all of them because they had all of the artists that i love just doing it uh it's it's been more up and down there'll be some weeks where i really have to like dig to find that dc wall book like, i might even be like ah oh, this oh, i'll have one to have one this week or I'll give one away and it doesn't necessarily work on mine. That was not the case this week. This week, there was one, two, three, four. Four of the DC variants, which is, I think, half of the DC books that came out, are all going on my wall. Uh, Detective Comics 1002, the Mark Brooks variant. Particularly, I might not have actually picked this one up if I didn't know for a fact that he's coming to Denver Comic Con. And I, I just got to get it signed, and I might give it away to one of you fuckers. But it's still a fucking sweet cover. It's got the Arkham Knight blueprints on it. Or something. Yeah. It's, it's dope. Oh, man. The Batman Beyond. The Ben Oliver. Mm, fucking. Covers. It's, a, it's amazing. It's, it's just the perfect Batman. It's, I love it. I love it so much. It's going to go right, great right next to the other Ben Oliver. Batman Beyond. I have hanging on the wall. This next artist, Josh Middleton, he's, I say he takes up about eight square feet of my wall with his wall books, particularly his Batgirl. This is just another brilliant fucking Batgirl cover. Uh, one of the, the covers you see her, she's on the inside of this clock tower and you see the, the light coming in on her. With this shot, she's on the opposite side of that clock tower. She's outside and it's just... If there were ever a fucking Batgirl superhero pose to, to go off of and say if this is, yeah, the statue of Batgirl that can only be made from here on out, this is the book that dignifies that statue and that pose. And that, Josh Middleton, he's just he's so fucking good. The last wall book I have is uh, Mitch Gerard's. This one right here, it's a very beautiful, 
beautiful cover. It just doesn't necessarily go in with my wall, but because of how beautiful it is, I, I figured that it's got to get, it's got, I, I got to buy it. Mostly because I'm probably going to give it away to one of you fuckers. So stay tuned. There will be a giveaway for the Flash 69 Mitch Dreads variant. So that's that's all I got. That's all I got for the, the, the wall books and the, all of that good stuff. Let's move on to next week's hype. There are a bunch of books to be excited about. A whole heap of them. DC, I believe, is going to be very, very redeeming this week. So let's let's get on with that. DC Comics. <laughs> oh boy, we got fucking Super Sons. That's kind of a thing. I am not reading it, but Peter J. Tomasi is writing it, so I probably should be reading it. Super Sons number 10. Uh, it is it's, it's a week of new shit for DC. They're bringing in they're bringing in some stuff. Some really, really, really fucking exciting stuff. Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossing over again for the third and final fucking time. James Tinian the fourth and Freddie E. Williams Jr. So the James Tinian the fourth, this is actually what made me this is why I'm always defending James Tinian the fourth, as much as I haven't really been enjoying his writing as of late, is because I know what the fuck he did with Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and that crossover. Uh, it's actually so good, in fact, that it, we are going to get a theatrical animated release of a movie of Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Beyond all of that, Freddie E. Williams Jr., or the second, I think, as he prefers to go by, if there was ever an artist that... I mean, I, I got the dude on my wall. If, if someone was were to approach me and say... I want to get into comic books. Show me an artist that you think could just blow my fucking mind for the first time and make me love comic books. It's Freddie Williams the second. I I am I, if he were on a lot of uh, any on any ongoing thing that he would ever do, I, I I would purchase. I just think the dude has an amazing fucking steez to him. <sighs> um. Shit, we got Batman number 70, Tom King and Mikel Janine and Jorge Fornes. I, I have high hopes. I, I, I'm i probably going to be let down, we'll see, but I, I know what Tom King's capable of. I know it's not going to be nightmares anymore. That's all fucking over. This shit, I am super fucking excited for. We've got Deceased. Tom Taylor, Trevor Hairstein, and a few others. Guys, this is... You know, Marvel as their Marvel zombies. This is going to be a DC zombie story, but it's done by Tom Taylor, and it is going to be dark as fuck. Everybody gonna die. Everybody gonna be dead in some manner. My my most excited book, of the, exciting book of the week, personally. And there are an abundance of covers to go along with it. We've got a 25 cent book this week. 25 cents, it's all going to cost you. But DC's Year of the Villain. I'm not totally sure what um, what it's going to entail. I know that Brian Michael Bendis is heading it, along with a few other writers, and then there's going to be a few other uh, artists as well, all coming together. I don't know what to expect out of it, but for a quarter, I mean, you're obviously buying it. 
And with my 30% discount on my pull, <laughs> it ain't going to cost shit. There's some fucking sweet goddamn incentive covers going along with it, though. Deathstroke number 43, Christopher Priest, Adam Glass, Carlo Pagaloyan, and Jason Paz. I'm getting this book strictly for the, uh, um, the, the variant. I did order this variant, that's for fucking sure. I haven't been reading Deathstroke, but I hear it's great. I hear it's great. Green Lantern, number seven, Grant Morrison, Leon Sharp, obviously reading that shit. Harley Quinn, number 61, Sam Humphreys and Sammy Basari. I recently decided to throw it on my poll, so I have been reading it as of lately. Uh, we'll see if I get to talk about it. Justice League, number 23, Scott Snyder and Jorge Jimenez. This would probably be my runner-up for most anticipated, just because I want to see that might fight Mr. Mixelplick. I've been waiting way too fucking long for that since it's been teased. James Tinian didn't fucking deliver. We just got the reveal of Batmite. I need it. I need it hard. Teen Titans number twenty. Oh, never mind. I fucked that up. Young Justice number five. Brian Michael Bendis, Patrick Gleason, and John Timms. I didn't realize how many books Brian Michael Bendis has taken over for DC now. Good on him. Um, Silencer is actually, I think, this is the... They've got a trade paperback. The only reason I'm bringing up a trade paperback is because this character has been canceled, and a lot of people are really, really, really mad about Silencer of all the characters being canceled, so... I think there's going to be a total of three volumes on this book. I think it ended at issue 15 or 16, so this is the second volume. So for all you hardcore Silencer fans out there, you got something new to keep you entertained in the meantime. But really, that's that's all there is for DC as far as worth hyping. There's still a lot of other good shit, though. I'm killing it. It's a weak week. There's going to be some editing. Seriously, this is... We're going to go right in the... Jesus Christ. Well, it's a good thing I'm broke this week, because these books suck. Transformers, number four. Brian Ruckley, Angel Hernandez, and Ron Joseph. So we finally got some new Transformers introduced in this into this, so I, I, I'd like to see some punching soon. I really like the world building, I like the new introductions and the new characters, I like the dynamic of it all. I just need to see some fucking goddamn oil flying. It's starting to kind of frustrate me a little bit. But, I'm still super excited for it. Paper Girls, number 28, Brian K. Vaughn, Cliff Chang, and Matt Wilson. Uh, I actually dropped it. I didn't, it didn't live up to the hype for me, but it's still a super, super fucking popular story. So for all the people that are following it, here's a reminder. Walking Dead 191, Robert Kirkman and Charlie Aldred and some various others. Why do they have various others when it's a black and white book? Huh. I'm not actually reading it, I'm just collecting it because I don't have time to catch up. But I need, I know that there's a bunch of valuable issues that come out of it sporadically because of a TV show, so. It's really, I'm only collecting it strictly for value's sake is what it comes down to. Uh, Marvel Comics, I know all of these books. Age of X-Men, Prisoner, X number three, Vita Alaya, and German Peralta, so we're getting, I guess we're on the, all the issue threes now of the 25 issues of this miniseries that is probably going to be meaningless, but 
Yeah, I, I don't know. It's great, I guess. <laughs> Amazing... Jesus Christ, what's with all the fucking reprints? Amazing Spider-Man number 20 point hunted. I'm assuming this one follows Vulture. I'm not... I'm, I'm buying all the haunted books because I'm a completionist, but... Yeah, no, it's hopefully this one's better. I was excited about the lizard one. Then they did the 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 other character that no one's ever fucking heard of ever got his own whole issue that I don't know anybody that cared about it. The fact is, is Nick Spencer went on to exclaim before the hunted story even ended at the end of like issue 15 of Spider-Man. There was a whole back page saying this is the book. This is the book. This is the story I pitched to Marvel, particularly the point hunted stories. They just brought Marvel to their knees and said, please be our Spider-Man writer. I don't fucking see it. Uh, C.B. Savolsky might have been concussed when Nick Spencer pitched this story. Maybe I'm just a cold-hearted fucking son of a bitch. I don't understand why the hunted stories need to be a thing at all in any way, shape, or form. They better make Vulture interesting because I'm still going to buy it and I'm still going to fucking read it because I'm a goddamn gump. <sighs> Champions, number five. This is a War of the Realms tie-in. I'm not reading Champions, but I'll be reading this one, at least this particular issue. I'm intrigued that Cyclops is back on the team, like the Cyclops is back on the team now that he's alive again. So, I'm, 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 I'm interested. I'm very, very interested. Maybe this book will, will drag me in and throw it on my, throw it on my list. We shall see. Cosmic Ghost Riders Destroying Marvel History, Paul Shear, Nick Giovanetti, and Nathan Stockman. I read the first issue and thought, oh, you just told the same story three times in all this history of Marvel. So I decided that it's not going to be a priority read, but it is still on my pull list. So when the five issues are done, I will go through and read it. And whether or not you get a review out of me, I don't know. Dead Man Logan, number seven, Ed Brisson and Mike Henderson. Damn well, I'm definitely reading Dead Man Logan. He's he's back in the wastelands now. He has said goodbye to Earth uh, 616, and he's back in the wastelands for five more issues. I didn't think that all this would be happening to the last issue, so I am super intrigued now. I like the fact that I didn't predict this story. Deadpool number, tw- number 12, Scotty Young and Scott Hepburn. I think we're getting more of the Good Night saga. I think for the first time in the Deadpool run, we're actually getting a a, a saga, uh, an arc, if you will, instead of just a bunch of random one-shots. They've all been great, don't get me wrong. Uh, Scott Hepburn doing this. I prefer Nick Klein doing the art for Deadpool, especially since this Scott Young and Nick Klein's run on Deadpool will be coming to an end on issue 15 or 16, I believe, and they're working on something secret. But I would think that Nick Klein would be writing out this out till the end. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm reading it for sure. Uh, Major X number three, Rob Liefeld and Will Petrasio. I'm really only reading it because of all the. Or not. I'm not even. I, I, I'll take that back. I'm not reading this anymore. I'm collecting it because of all the first appearances that are coming out somehow through this that may or may not be meaningful. I'm collecting strictly out of speculation is what it comes down to. Uh, If you're reading this, then God bless you. Marvel's Hills Avengers, number one. This is, uh, it's got Stan Lee and Jeff Kirby and uh, Steve Buscema on there. Buscema. 
I, I would only imagine what this is about is just a bunch of amazing Marvel stories that are being retold and probably remastered in some way. But with names like Stanley and Jack Jack Kirby on there, I'm assuming it's probably gonna be. I'm I'm picking it up is what it comes down to. Punisher, number 11, Matthew Rosenberg and Simon Kudansky. Marvel's best book, hands down. Fucking obviously reading it. Oh, and that fucking Max Lim variant is dope. My most anticipated Marvel book of the week, though, does involve Punisher, not the Punisher. It's Savage Avengers, number one, Jerry Duggan and Mike Diodoto. This is Mike Diodoto's goodbye Marvel story. Uh, I believe that uh, there's... So we've got Venom and Wolverine and Elektra and Punisher and Conan the motherfucking Barbarian all on here. And apparently Conan's going to get a Venomized sword somehow. There's also some other dude in there that I can't tell who it is, but I bet he's cool. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm ecstatic for this story. I can't wait. Can't fucking wait for Savage Avengers. Just a couple days away. Spider-Gwen Ghost of Spider... Oh, try that again. Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider. Sean McGuire and Takeshi Maezawa. Uh, it's, it might be losing me. I'm not sure. She needs to be punching some more shit real quick and fast. Because it's getting a little Silver Age Spider-Man-y on me. Too many feelings. War of the Realms, number three. Jason Aaron and Russell Dalderman. Obviously reading this one. This starts Act 2. So we're going to figure out... Uh, we, we know where all of the... Malachist forces have been divided up in all the continents. Now we're just going to get the conquer part. We've got the divide part. Now we've got the conquer part for Act 2. Supposedly. Ooh. I, 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 ooh. we got all the Strike Force books starting now. There's going to be three or four Strike, books, Strike Force books coming out, all pertaining to War of the Realms. The first one being Dark Elf Realm. And on the cover, we've got Punisher and She-Hulk and Blade and Ghost Rider. And I want to say that's Lady fucking Freya as well. Huh. I- I'm I'm fully on board with the Strike Force books. I think they're going to be three-issue miniseries. I'm not sure. I don't, uh, I, I don't know, but take my money, Marvel. Moving into some independence, I'm just going to scroll right on down to Rocco's Modern Afterlife, number two. I love me some Rocco's Modern Life. It's my favorite Nickelodeon thing ever. And doing a a zombie version of this after reading issue one, I fucking love it. uh, Francesco Segala, I think, is the cover color artist on there. And he just, he nails it. He fucking nails the tone of that book so well. I dig it. I dig it hard. So that is uh that's that's all I got for um so that's all I got for the hype of the week. There's tons and tons and tons and tons of tons of other books coming out, but that's just what I'm particularly excited for. And even if it's not on my pull list, that's what I feel like the public is clamoring for. So just a reminder. With all that being said, I uh I'm. I will say my my final closing notes. I'm ex- I, I really hope that DC can pull out of this rut with me that they've had, and maybe it's just the order that I just so happen to be reading the books. But I feel like when I when I'm done reading my DC books for the week, I get kind of I'm just not all that happy, 
even though there are some gems in there for sure. Like this week, Batman Beyond and Detective Comics were awesome. But with what I read otherwise, I was just kind of, what the fuck is this? Do you really need to make a whole comic out of this? So with that being said, with Deceased coming up this week after it being hyped for fucking months and months and months and months and months, and DC's Year of the Villain coming out for a quarter, and Brian Michael Bendis, one of the greatest writers in the history of comic books ever, um, I, I would just, the fact is, DC cannot disappoint. Cannot. You're not allowed to. So, um, with all of that being said, I'm going to talk about all of my favorites. The, favorite, the, the best of the best of the week of, yeah. <laughs> there was some good, really good stuff. I'm going to start out visually. I, this seems to be a trend. Uh, the, the cover of the week, once again, goes to Spawn. 296. That I, I see you. I see you nodding your head in approval. I, it's a no fucking brainer. There is some great stuff. The, the the Venom cover. Ryan Stegman. That dude's just he's amazing. But McFarlane and Matina, I think, is just my artistic. It's the ultimate artistic relationship for me. I, I it, my two favorite, my favorite pencilist of all time, and my favorite painter of all time coming together for the greatest indie antihero of all time. It's obvious. Uh, let's start, uh, is more on the artistic side, on the insides. It's, it's really, <laughs> I don't think I was disappointed at all with anything that I read as far as artistically. I, I liked, uh, I really liked Hulk Vereen's. There's something about Ariana Anandito and the way he draws all of that. It's, it, it was awesome. But oddly enough, I would I have to give it to Heroes in Crisis. As much as I hated that story, that book was a fucking pretty on the inside. Mitch Gerard, he can't fail. Even if he is Tom King's best buddy, and he just has to draw shitty stories sometimes, yeah, I said it, he could still make it pretty. I, I kept turning the pages because I just wanted to see <laughs> what it came down to. Uh, overall, my book of the week is... Just the biggest gangster in the history of galactic villains, and that's Vader, Dark Visions. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a love story told in the way that I would write every love story out there. It's, who fucking needs it? Just conquer. Do what you gotta do. It's the mission that matters. No time for love, bitches. So I know I kind of did the show a little bit out of order this week, but the fact is that's that's what I love. That's what I love. That's that was the best. I don't think I have anything else to talk about, really. Is that a podcast? I think that's a podcast. I think that's a fucking podcast, boys. Oh, and look how short we made it for you guys, too. You're welcome. So thank you, everybody, for joining us once again. Just a reminder, this is episode 28. You know where to find us. You know where to listen to us. You wouldn't be listening to us if you didn't know where to listen to us, right? Yeah, I mean, there's outlets that they may not know about, but they can read about those. You can read about it. You can read about it. Like, share, subscribe, all of that bullshit. Yeah, because of social media. We're on all of them, I'm sure. Uh, At Cheers to Comics at Twitter is probably the most important one. That's where you're going to communicate best with us. And for all the indie creators out there, send your stuff our way. I know I haven't had a creator creator submission for a couple of weeks, but that's really just based off of timing. Uh, There will be an interview with the creator of Music Maker coming here real fucking soon. So stay tuned for that. I'm super excited to talk to her. Uh, Other than that, you guys, thank you so much once again for joining us. Y'all motherfuckers, read responsibly. Cheers, bitches.